how you want to start it? I don't know. Just record some conversation and we'll pick something out. All right. Are you recording? I'm not, but you know, like, just, like a, just you're listening it. to Utah Open Lands podcast. This is Acres Away. Stories of land conservation from the trenches. Stories behind land conservation. Behind land conservation. Stories behind land conservation. That sounds good. That's how we'll start. Hello, and welcome to Acres Away, a Utah Open Lands podcast bringing you the stories behind land conservation from the trenches. Each month we'll be bringing you a new story from a new place, from one of our 60,000 acres of conserved land. This week, we'll be taking a look at one of our most recent and exciting projects, Bonanza Flat Conservation Area. You'll hear from past and present mayors, biologists, students, and some of the people who took Bonanza Flat from a vision to a reality. And just a quick cautionary side note about this podcast. For anyone with little ears around them, there is some strong language later on about Santa. My name is Ben, and I'm the stewardship assistant here at Utah Open Lands. My name is Marie. I'm the outreach director, and I've been with Utah Open Lands since 2016. Did we think we had a chance in the beginning? You remember. You were there. You were very much a part of that. Yeah. We We didn't have any money. No. Uh, we didn't know how we could do it. This is Jack Thomas, former mayor of Park City, sitting down with Utah Open Lands Executive Director Wendy Fisher. This doesn't really sound like the beginning of something successful. With a $38 million price tag and a six-month deadline, saving Bonanza Flat seemed out of reach. Uh, we had some notion that if we had, you know, at that time, I think if we had eight months, we could put a bond together. And so... Sort of on a, on a wing and a prayer, we offered up the bond as uh, an option for the community to consider if the negotiations were to uh, fail and we had an opportunity. The opportunity for Park City to step in and purchase Bonanza Flat seemed unlikely. With planning permission already granted to previous owners, the area seemed destined for development. A private gated community with access to an exclusive golf course, a sea of rooftops replacing the 1,350 acres of wildlife habitat. Uh, we had watched Empire Canyon get away from us and be developed, and certainly we were hopeful we could protect Bonanza, but the opportunity wasn't there until a few years ago where um, Talisker got into financial trouble, and, and we were all watching carefully to see how that would come out, and it ended up going back to the bank, to Wells Fargo, and that was our opportunity, the opportunity we'd been waiting decades for. That was current Park City Mayor Andy Bierman. Waiting decades for an opportunity seems like something out of a movie. But Park City had missed out on the opportunity to buy Bonanza Flat before, and this looked like it was just going to be another missed opportunity to buy that property. We were part of those negotiations with Utah Open Lands trying to acquire that property, and then we, we to much to our disappointment, they reached a deal with somebody else to develop that right when we thought we were on the cusp of having a deal to purchase that land. We're back with Jack Thomas, former mayor of Park City, with his thoughts on what it would have meant to lose Bonanza Flat. Frankly, it scared the hell out of me. I could visualize it. I could, I could see it. I, could, I had dreams about it. Maybe they weren't dreams. Maybe they were nightmares. But I, I can remember lifts and people and skiing and traffic and moving, you know, traversing across the land and activity. And it just, 
Yeah. And so, yes, I could see it. It was very real. And it was all too real. Wells Fargo was in the midst of transactions with the developer. Mayor Beerman talks to the atmosphere at City Council at the time. Uh, for a, a day or two, I think we were all pretty upset, and then we decided to uh, move forward as if and prepare to purchase land on the uh, with the chance that their sale might fall through. We this was very unconventional. We went to the public and we said we don't have a purchase uh, contract. We don't even know what the price is, but we would like to bond for twenty four million because we believe um, it is worth having that money there just in case this sale falls through and we get the opportunity. Of course, n- nothing ever happens because of one person. You know, I, I mean, in, in our community, you know, we have a five other members of the city council and uh, who were so holistically on board with this notion. And I think the community as well. But I, th- I was concerned, you know. <laughs> I thought, you know, we've $25 million, what do you think? Right. You know? <laughs> that's, that's a huge question to be throwing out there. Yeah. yeah. So the bond, uh, even though it was a little unusual, our public has been very supportive of open space. They feel like Bonanza Flat is a special place, so they supported that bond in November. And then in December, we got a phone call, and the deal had hit some delays and bumps in the road, and Wells Fargo was wondering if we'd still like to purchase it. And they made the decision. And, and Tom Daly said, I need to get up and, and tell the bank that, that we're in. This is Heinrich Dieters with Park City. So I do trails and open space property real estate, acquisition, planning of trails, funding of trails, contracts with entities like Utah Open Lands. He's been with the city since 2006 and has worked alongside Utah Open Lands on five conservation easements that they hold in the area. And I remember watching because I was in the back of the room and he got up and went in there. And uh, that was when I knew it was real. You know, that's, that's when I was like, this is going to happen and we got to raise all this money. That was a big hurdle, and Utah Open Lands went to work on the on the public fundraising campaign and did a tremendous job, and we were, we were hopefully supportive where we could be along those lines. But the trick was then going out and getting our major partners to uh, participate, and, and I felt a real um, belief that they should participate and, and took that one on, going down and talking with many of our partners along the Wasatch Front about how uh, this was important to their watershed, it was important to their residents, and that they should support it. But it's hard to go ask for money somewhat after the fact. They felt like we were committed and Park City was buying it, so why should they put money in? In just five months, donors closed the $13 million gap between the bond Park City residents voted for and the $38 million purchase price. Three counties, three cities, numerous businesses, and countless individuals from across the nation came together. What was that like for you? It was exhausting. What was so exhausting about it? It was nonstop for five months, from January through to mid-June, so I guess six months, actually. Was there any point during that stretch in which you thought you might not make that money yeah there was definitely a time where I think for for most of throughout the campaign I think I felt mostly positive about it but there was definitely a moment when it was getting towards um governmental entities voting about putting funds towards the purchase price and they said no 
Fortunately, their residents spoke very loudly that Bonanza Flat was important to them and they wanted to see him preserve it. And they realized it's important to the watershed, to recreational values, the damage that development would do to the, the Cottonwood Canyons with the traffic going up there. And eventually we got their support. Yeah, I think, you know, when I look at it, I remember as we were kind of building the campaign, one of the things that we talked about was that beyond the loss of that open space, beyond the the loss of moose habitat and flammulated owl habitat, beyond right. all of that, the, the impacts to the, commi- the community from traffic, from just sheer development, what all of that, that, the construction that happens, all of that that would have happened would have just been absolutely huge. It would have been staggering. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I've watched the development of other parts of our community over the years because I've been an architect in some of those communities and uh, I realize how dramatic the impact is. When I was a kid and I stood on the top of Timpanogos and, and Lone Peak and Mount Olympus uh, with my old friend Harold Goodrow, we'd, we'd look down at the city and we could identify each municipality we could see Midville, Murray, Sandy, Draper. We could identify those things. If you got down to Timpanogos, you could see Orem, you know, Provo, uh, you know, the other small hamlets throughout the West. And <clears throat> not too long a- after that, getting back up again on those same peaks, like 20 or 30 years later, it's all morphed together. It's all me- it's metastasized together. It's one thin, malignant spread of growth and density. And that's the way it happens because most growth just happens. I think it's important to talk a little bit about our legacy. I mean, we are named Park City. And the reason that that's really a celebration of the open spaces, the open meadows they found when they came to this area, that, that we actually got our name. And I am really proud of what our town has been able to do in protecting many of those open spaces. And, and so future generations know what Park City looked like when we got here. Certainly there has been a lot of development that's gone on in town, and it's not the same town it was, but there are a lot of pieces you can look to and see what Park City looked like 100 years ago. And I think if anything comes out of this, this is a a key piece that future generations will be able to interact with in a way that's natural and wild and shows them what it used to be like here. And I, I enjoy the fact that, that kids that grow up here are able to use the outdoors as a classroom as well as a backdrop to everything they do. That's just called a dead koala, actually. Yeah. happens with slots because they mistake their own arms for tree branches. Yeah, and grab them. <laughs> so you recently went up to Bonanza Flats with students from Roadland Hall. Yeah, yeah. Mike and Sarah and myself from Utah Open Lands went up and met with students from Roland Hall. And what did you talk to them about? Uh, we really asked them questions rather than talk to them um, about what they knew about Bonanza Flat, what they thought some adaptations in the winter months for certain species up there might look like, um, and how it made them feel to be up on a protected piece of land in their own community. And from what you witnessed, did you see more interaction with the land from the students than in a regular indoor classroom? Well, I think absolutely. When you get up into an outdoor classroom like that, you are not really having to talk more about what you're seeing because you can just show them and it's a lot easier for for me personally and I think for students in general to really engage with something by becoming immersed in it. 
But in this case, you can really see what a tree could be exposed to. I mean, that tree is just surviving right now. Look how it's plastered with that snow. And the snow leaves the track of the wind. I mean, you can, you can see what has happened to that tree. So what do you guys know about adaptations or what have you learned in class about adaptations so far? Me? Yeah. Um, on the spot. <laughs> uh, they're to help species survive. Right on. So what sort of adaptations do you think the birds up here are going to have to have if they want to stick around? Insulation. Okay. Maybe they burrow under the snow and it's just warm. So the kids obviously saw a lot of different flora and fauna up on the property when you went up there. And over the past nine months since the acquisition of Bonanza Flat in June, Utah Openlands has been engaged in a resource inventory, which at a basic level is exactly what it sounds like. It catalogues the species, man-made structures, habitat and recreational uses that exist on the property. At the end of 2017, Park City Council wanted to extend the resource inventory into the winter season, and that's where Ben comes in. A big part of what I've been doing up there is just kind of trying to create a list of all of the different species that we might need to be aware of up on Bonanza Flat and mm -hmm. a lot of what I've seen this winter is a ton of action from moose and elk and mule deer. Um, some of the cooler sightings saw bald eagle up there um, as well as just numerous bird species, woodpeckers, your kind of classic crows, turkeys, yeah, that sort of stuff. And have you seen them all or you've just seen signs of them like footprints and, and such? Uh, the majority of what I'm seeing has been signs. Um, because it, when you're out there, it is tough to actually see those things um, up close and personal. And it's a lot easier to track that they've been there just by looking for what they left behind. Wildlife up on Bonanza Flat is evident. The conservation area is home to numerous species of concern and is considered high-value habitat for moose, elk, deer, mountain goat, bear, and cougar. Because of this abundance of wildlife, Bonanza Flat has become an outdoor lab for local scientists and the projects they're working on. So my name is uh, Sam Robertson. I'm a master's student at Utah State University, and I'm working on the Utah Moose Project in collaboration with the Utah Division of Wildlife. Um, and we're trying to get a better idea of what's driving the population, and we're trying to figure out what's causing these fluctuations and if there's a way to stabilize the population. So you said um, that you have a couple of moose collared up on Bonanza Flat. Yeah. And would you say that that is an area where they're thriving? Uh, they seem to be doing pretty well up there. It's good moose habitat. There's a lot of quakies, quaking aspen, a lot of uh, you know al subalpine fir, uh, some different conifers up there, and it's good moose habitat. Aside from moose on Bonanza Flat, have you ever seen any other kind of wildlife up there? Uh, yeah, I've run into elk quite a bit, uh, mule deer. I've crossed bear tracks. I've never seen one in there. I've also crossed mountain lion tracks in there a couple times in the winter. But yeah, all kinds of birds. It does seem like it's a great area for wildlife. And any time I think we could conserve a place in its you know, natural state as much as we can is really critical because we're losing so much habitat with human population expanding. Um, and I think Bonanza Flat is a great example of conservation at work. Bonanza Flat is, is the only property that probably has the unique environmental characteristics, the, the watershed, the flora and fauna. Um, this is the first place, and the reason why I think it's so important that we preserved it, 
for residents in the greater community to really experience a high alpine property. If you look at Bonanza Flat is kind of the the connector between the Wasatch Front and the Wasatch Back, and it's even though it has a few inholdings and it has some popular trails through there, it's it's uh, it's mostly wild and beautiful up there, and it sets a tone. It sets a tone of solidarity, and um, I think it's an important buffer for all of us to have up there, not only from the sense of protecting our watershed, which is, of course, important, but for setting our sense of place. During these conversations, it became clear that Bonanza is more than just a piece of land. It is a haven for both wildlife and the Wasatch, and for people seeking an escape from the continued push for development in northern Utah. So how do we ensure Bonanza Flat Conservation Area remains a wild and untouched gem? I think it's important that we we continue in the spirit of preservation up there. And that's not just buying the land and not developing it, but that's how we manage the land. That's how it looks and feels every time you go up there. So I know it's been a, a long process for a lot of people. They're wondering why we're taking so long, but it's important we do this right because it is going to be generational decision-making. Here's Wendy Fisher, our executive director, checking back in with Jack Thomas, the former mayor of Park City, about his generational stories up on Bonanza Flat. You've mentioned that um, you've kind of had a generational connection to Bonanza Flat in the past. Talk to us about that. Well, I think many of us do. I've I've talked to other people in the community that have fathers and grandfathers that stumbled around this community, and it's interesting to hear that. Two of my great-grandfathers lived in Park City. One was a minor, one was a minister, and they were both kind of outdoor people. And so they got up there on these big, long skis and uh, scooted around. And my father did the same thing, so, my, and my grandfather. So, and then my sons and my daughters have uh, been up there a lot. They've done a lot of filming and skiing. And uh, so there's that appreciation for what it is. I remember going up there after graduating from high school and and just uh, hiking around with my friends. I mean, it's magical. It's truly magical. I'm surprised how much of it's untouched still. There are certain areas of high intensity there, but there are a lot of areas that are completely untouched. I'm also, I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised by the level of passion by the various user groups. Certainly there are uses up there that were legal and uses that are illegal. It doesn't really matter. If people have been doing it for years up there, they feel entitled to still do that. And for us, it's a real challenge because we're trying to respect the traditional uses up there. But at the end of the day, we have to protect the land and not all those are compatible. You know, I would remind people that the reason why we acquired this property was for preservation. And when you start with that... um, I think most people can get to um, a communal understanding of, of what, how we're going to utilize that property, the planning associated, the access, et cetera. It, it is going to be challenging, but to continually bring it back to preservation, the way that Utah Open Lands has set up the resource inventory process, we are working our way through that. And I think we're true to the cause, we're true to the bond language, we're true to the intent. Um, will there possibly be some casualties um, from a recreational access standpoint? Will it not meet certain entities' full expectations? 
Absolutely. But preservation isn't something that is defined by uh, the extravagant. It is defined by limiting and protecting resources. And I, I think that's what's important. So Ben, as someone that's been up there a lot, what are these resources and conservation values that Heinrich is referring to? Yeah, I think when you take a step back and look at Bonanza from a bird's eye view, you realize that it has tons and tons of different conservation values to offer. But I think if we're looking at it at a base level, what it's important to start with is looking at the water values that it holds. There are numerous wet meadows in riparian areas, streams, lakes that provide just tons of really important resources for both the wildlife and for the people who are going up there to experience kind of a unique oasis in this area that is sort of a desert here in northern Utah. And it's not just the experience that those people have that visit, right? It's the, it's the watershed for the valley too. Yeah, it's not just going up there and seeing that water resource. It's um, the watershed that comes from Bonanza is the Lake Creek Provo River watershed. And um, that eventually helps drain down and provides water for over 50% of the people in the Salt Lake Valley. So whether or not you're going up and actually visiting it in person, that watershed is affecting a lot of people down in the valley. As Mayor Bierman puts it here, I think that both the watershed and the Wasatch Mountains are something that can bring us on the Wasatch Front and back together. We're, we're nonpartisan and somewhat apolitical on the Wasatch back. The Wasatch Front's a different, a different creature. We may vary somewhat culturally and politically than a lot of the rest of Utah, but something we can always find as a common point is our passion for the Wasatch Mountains. This is it. Like this is now we've got something tangible. We actually have something where we sit in meetings and say, how best can we do this? It's exciting to do it. It's just not, it's not happening overnight. And it's going to take the public a lot of time to understand that, that doing something right doesn't happen overnight. Santa doesn't come down the chimney and deliver, you know, a perfectly feasible where everybody's happy with Bonanza Flat and, and what's going to happen. So, Gosh darn it, Santa. If only he could solve this problem. Don't tell my kids. They still believe in him. So this isn't, you're going to edit that out, right? <laughs> they still believe. Hey, so, you got to keep the belief going. I got about one more year, I think. <laughs> yeah, just wait till the one finds out. I know. I've already, yeah. she's asking questions already. As we turn to the future of Bonanza Flat, there are many questions left to be answered. But the story of this land is an encouraging one. We think both Jack and Andy say it best. In this bizarre world that we live in today, and the tension and anxiety that we all feel on a national basis, and the frenzy of activity and the discomfort we have with um, the direction the things are going, I think our hope lies in the community. And, um, you know, we have to take care of ourselves. And I think Utah Open Lands is at the heart of that. Our hope lies in the engagement and support of that entity to everyone that cares about who we really are and our passion for the environment and people needs to come from the ground up. This effort for Bonanza Flat has been accepted by many, many communities and thousands of people. And um, I'm moved by that. I really am. Thank goodness we still have places where we can get lost. We need those. And that's a wrap for this month. But we will be back. We will have another story for you in a few weeks' time. 
And that one will be on our conservation easement, Galena Sunkani. Yeah, so thank you so much for uh, tuning in, all you thousands upon millions of podcast listeners out there. Please give us any feedback. Tell us what you want to hear next, as long as it's a conservation easement related to Utah open lands. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't want to hear any other opinions yet. No, no, no. Take care. Goodbye. See you in a few weeks. Peace out. Au revoir. <laughs> See you in a few.